0: This morning, um, we're going to be speaking about being a living sacrifice. I've um, worked in New York City for my whole career as a union plumber, and I've worked on a great many projects. High-rises and schools and hospitals and bridges and sewage treatment plants and power plants and and many different things. So one of the things that happens when we drive to the city uh, and I'm with my family, I will point to things and say, hey, kids, you see that over there? And they say, Dad, we know you built that. (laughs) It's something that we see a structure standing there that I can say I built. But did I really build it? Well, well, I built it in community with others. And each one of those projects, I was at a different phase in my life and in my career. So at one time, I was an apprentice which means uh, the level of building that I I did, uh, I was being built up to learn a trade, and I was a lot of times the grunt guy. Go get this, go do that, carry this over there. And when I tried to put in my two cents, uh, often it was not uh, encouraged. So it would go something like, it would be a group of guys trying to figure something out, And um, in my opinion, uh, they weren't coming to the right conclusion fast enough, so I would offer my uh, expertise as a second-year apprentice, let's say. And um, I caught on to the trade pretty fast, so I'm pretty sure I was right some of the time. Uh, And when I was, they still wouldn't give me credit, so I would say why don't we try and I would say whatever it is. And a couple of guys would turn and look at me and then turn back and keep speaking as if I said nothing. And then one of them would rephrase exactly what I said and they'd say, you're right Bill, that's a great idea. Then it came a point when I was no longer an apprentice. I was a journeyman, meaning a full-fledged plumber, and I was young, and the younger guys get the heavier work and are called to be productive, and you got to get the pipe in. And I grew in my career, and then I was a foreman, where I'm telling other people how to install the pipe, where to install the pipe. I'm looking at blueprints, I'm going to job meetings, and then I became a general foreman, which means the foreman of the foremans. So I'm walking around and basically uh, directing things and problem solving, but I'm not actually putting in pipe. But in every one of those instances, when I look at a building, I say to myself, I built that. That is something that someone can say um, if they're an engineer and they were writing uh, things for that building, an architect uh, with uh, design and uh, other people like that. Uh, But then you have people uh, that were around that building uh, that didn't actually build the building. So let's just say someone worked there in the capacity of a security guard at nighttime, making sure the tools didn't get stolen. Um, I don't know that they could say, I built that building. So uh, often we have situations where people are in proximity of something or if someone works next door or is walking by, they can't claim because they heard the noise of what was going on there, even had to uh, deal with some of the dust and debris that they had any part of building it. There often we have situations where people come to church but they're not a part of building God's kingdom it's like uh if you're in a football game and they are supposed to be a player on the field and they're in the huddle the huddle is when you see all those guys like kind of in a circle and they have a play and then they're going to execute the play and they yell out, you know, 64, 35, slant right. If first off, they didn't read their playbook at home, they don't even know what's being said. And then if they break from the huddle and they run off the field, then they are far from being a participant And whether you win or lose the game. Proximity does not mean that you helped. Some people even think in a sinister way about God's church and God's bride. Even people that come to church sometimes speak negatively about the bride of Christ, the church that Jesus bled and died for. Our prayer for this month was, God, send people because the harvest is ripe. And God calls all of us to be a participant in what he's doing. One of the things that never happened in our house was uh, everyone not participate in chores. You had to participate in chores. You live here. You benefit from it. You're going to be a part of everything that happens, whether you like it or not. And hopefully what happens is you may start out doing something begrudgingly. But you should, as you mature, come to the place where you recognize I am part of this i love my family there is a benefit to me being in this family and i am not only to take but also to give we see that jesus called 12 to walk with him in his earthly ministry. And in a sense, they were going through an apprenticeship. They, they got to know who Jesus was. They, they watched him, and then they were empowered to go and imitate him. The ultimate model for us all is Jesus. And he calls us to be disciple makers he calls us to invest in others he when he saw his people he said they are sheep without a shepherd we are called to see past ourselves and we are called to action now jesus called some and they came and others had excuses one saying let me first go and bury my father Right There is a time that we are to just walk out what God has called us to walk out when he calls. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. If you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 12, 1, reading out of the CSB reads this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you discern. What is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? That's our desire, Lord. We've read that text many times, Lord. As we dissect it, we pray, Lord, that you would challenge each one of us, that we would look introspectively and determine, Am I? pleasing to you with the sacrifice that I bring what have you called me to Lord help me to discern these things and take great joy in being a living sacrifice because I love you because you've done a work in me because I want to be obedient to you, Lord. Would you do that in our hearts this morning? In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Often the way that we live is uh, the same way that uh, the people thought in Genesis chapter 11 lived. They, they came to this place and they said, hey. Hey. Let's build a tower here. Let's build something that reaches the sky. And they got their material and and they said in verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops, with its top into the sky. Hear this next line. Let's make a name for ourselves otherwise we'll be scattered throughout the earth and we know that God confused their language and they went different ways so that that wouldn't happen but how often is our thought of how we live life let me build a name for myself by, by the gospel, by being born again, you are not renovated. You are not an old house that has been fixed up. Often what we think is when God comes into our lives, it is for us to do whatever we were doing before better. There's certain preachers that will tell you, uh, be attracted to what Jesus has to offer you. That's very dangerous, and it's actually not what the gospel tells us. When our motivation is, bless me, let me get mine, we're in the wrong place. You've been not renovated, but you've been made new. You've been changed. So because you are changed, your desires, your mission, what you're about has to change. Christians must display the reality of God in their new way of living. From the beginning, God called men and women to a task. Before the fall, this was the case. And when we get to heaven and are glorified, it will still be the case. So in the interim, for the new man, for us believers... This is still the case. From the beginning, God called Adam to tend his garden. He, he, he put him in a place that says that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into him, into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. And it went on to say that God placed him in a garden, and the Lord took the man, placed him in the garden of Eden to do what? to work it and to watch over it. There was a benefit to him working it and watching over it where everything was accessible to him, but what he told him not to touch. But he called him to work the garden and to watch over it. He calls us to do the very same thing. When When Peter was restored, what did Jesus tell him? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. When Jesus was leaving, he gave one final word to his disciples, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe my, the commands I have given you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. Even when we get to heaven, we're going to work. So yes, there'll be rest for our labors, from our labors. But we will be there to serve the Lord. Take out of your mind, because it's not in the Bible that you're going to have your personal cloud, and you're going to get a harp, and all of a sudden you're going to know how to play it, and and that's going to be your job. No, God has things for us to do. matter of fact, Jesus said, "Um, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to to work. When the disciples challenged, when the Pharisees challenged Jesus, he said, my father works up until this day. He's not working. Jesus is not working for you to come and kick your feet up. No, he has things for us to do. But it's very different than what we do now. Often we look at work as drudgery. Right, We may have a job that we don't like, and everything that we do is distorted because we're dealing with sinful people, bosses we may or may not like. We're dealing with circumstances that are hard. All of that stuff is real. But when we get to glory, it's not going to be that way. It's going to be great joy. And the work that we do, pleasing to the Father. Imagine, you're going to like your boss, because your boss is going to be Jesus. You, you're going to like your co-workers, because your co-workers are going to be us. And not us in this state. That, that might have like, just like took you off. Oh, it's gonna Oh. No, no, no. A glorified us. a a, a different us, the the completed us. It's going to be awesome. What are we called to do in the meantime? What are we called to do while we're here? Because we are going to bring something to heaven when we're ushered into heaven. We we as believers are going to have to give an account for what we've done here. You are Holy Ghost filled. You are called to a purpose. You've been made new. You have been given gifts. What are you doing with them? You're you're going to give an account. You're, You're going to bring those things with you into heaven, and they're going to be placed in a fire. And whatever is wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burnt up. And whatever comes out, the gold and silver, those things that you've done for the kingdom, that's the only thing that's going to last. We, we, we are not saved because of our works. We are saved unto good works. It, it looks like something living the new life, having a new motivation. We, we get sidetracked and, and we start to do things that are here and treat those things as if this is how God has blessed me. We, we have to work. I've worked again on these buildings in 30, for 35 years. Me putting in a piece of pipe straight and fast and making God, making the boss money there. That's fine. That's good. That kept my job, that kept money in my pocket, kept my wife off my back where we could feed our families. But there had better be stories in every one of those buildings that you can't see from the outside structures. I had relationships with people while we're in these spaces, just like you in school and at work. That's where those things of gold and silver come to pass. Who who did you pray with there? Who'd you lead to the Lord? Who'd you give a Bible to? It's, It's those things that matter in the spaces that you're in because these are the things that we are called to my favorite christmas uh, uh, song is little drummer boy it's not the most theological it's, it's not so glorifying to god of emmanuel has come but but what it says is i have no gift to bring that's fit for a king what do i have But what I have, I offer it to you. It's yours. In this uh, text, the book of Romans is one of the most theological books in the Bible. And it starts to lay out why man will not be excused from his condition. And it works theologically through all of these different subjects. You would have to dig deep to know these things, but it starts from man has no excuse. And man left to himself, this is what he does. But God intervened, and this is what he provided, all the way up to the point of the chapter before chapter 12 is a partial blindness. On the Jews for the sake of the Gentiles and God drawing them in. And then that connecting phase, that f- phrase that changes everything and starts to get real practical is is therefore, because of everything that was previously said, because of this established connection, foregoing what we're going to do next is these things. Everything is everything that's theological, for one, is practical. So you might think, like, I need practical application. No, everything everything theological is practical, and everything practical is theological. It it has spiritual connotations to it all, and what you do comes from how you think about God. So, So know that. That's why you can be judged by those things, because it puts on display what you really believe. It says, therefore, because of all that was spoken of, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. Let's just stop there for a minute. Where this says mercies, it doesn't mean many mercies. What it's actually speaking about is because of the great mercy of God. It's used in a plural form to really signify how big God's mercies are. So, so in Zambia, to give you an example, uh, someone like we do here, you may call someone boss. Right? You may say, hey, how you doing, boss? Um, if they wanted to call you a great boss they would call you bosses so in, in the same way a, a bosses mean hey bosses meaning you are a boss of the boss a great boss this is great mercies in the same way in that original language because of God's Great mercy, in view of that, in light of everything that has been said, brother and sister, in view of God's great mercies. My dexterity is going. Caleb's ministry. I urge you. One of the things that we have to recognize about obtaining great mercies for the heathen for the unbeliever that um is done on the basis of a sacrifice we we sacrifice to receive mercy that's for the heathen for for us divine mercy provides the basis of our sacrifice in other words, because of God's great mercy, the overflow that I have to do is sacrifice. This is, this is yours, God. This is the fitting response because of your great mercies. says, "I urge you that that, that word is basically um, I beseech you. It's, it's a command mixed with a plea. It's, it's when you know something and you're saying it to someone so that they can really, under- I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm saying to you, this is what you want to do. So I, I'm telling you it at the same time as I am pleading with you, hear this well. So that's what he's saying when he says, I urge you to present or to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Understand like the language that's used here and how he was speaking to and who he was speaking to, because it is actually ties into a living sacrifice is different. What would they do? They would bring a sacrifice that would die and that could be offered up once and once it was offered up that was it that sacrifice was done the language here in saying a living sacrifice is deeper for the christian a a transformed life is continually offering sacrifice that is true worship Even here when it says, offer up your body as a sacrifice, it is your body that is used to serve in a sacrifice. It's talking really about your whole being. Often people come to church, they hear the word, they're in the huddle, and they believe their worship and their sacrifice is them raising their hands, them taking the time to come, and God, this is what I offer you. No. No. This is where you come to grow, to be corrected, to be in community, to be encouraged, to be filled to then go out and be a living sacrifice Paul is is viewing this offering, and this this sacrifice, and when we think about their system and, and the priest having to go on behalf of others and how he had to consecrate himself before he could even do that, and then what was he to bring? That person brought to the priest an animal that's without spot or blemish. It was a reminder of, no, what we offer is is holy. Renouncing sin from our old life and being committed to a life of obedience in God's divine will. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this age. In other words, the way that they thought about, let's build this tower and give ourselves a name. Sometimes when we think about being conformed to this age, we just think about like the worst of the worst stuff. No, it's the value system of the world. Get yours, secure your family, get all you can get, live for you, have this and have that, that's being conformed to this world system. We're not talking about the lowest of the low. We, we all are affected by sin. We're talking about motivation and life. What am I doing with my life? When, when we desire to have things, especially in the way our economy is set up, what we're doing is paying for it with our life. When you take out a mortgage, when you buy a certain car, when you commit yourself to certain things, What you're doing is saying, I will pay for this by taking chunks of my life and giving it to this thing, right? Because if you can't pay for it cash, what you're doing is, I'm putting the down payment on my life. And those things could become your God. Those things most certainly can bind you to a place where now I have no room to do nothing else from early in the morning till I go to bed at night. I've already committed myself to paying for that. And in the end, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. We might already find ourselves in that position. It doesn't mean that it's over, like, Wow, you know, I just closed on my house last week. Now, why didn't he preach this then? (laughs) We have to always be aware of, like, what we're doing and and what's important to us and, and, and where our priorities are. there is still a way that when you go to work and when you do what you're obligated to do, that even in those places, God would use you for his glory. So, so you know, keep paying your mortgage and keep going to work. But in all of these places, your priority is I am a person of God. When I worked in the world and I interacted with it, first off, I got saved by a plumber on a job witnessing to me when I was an apprentice. And that was a very good thing because all my interactions, I never took it as happenstance. I am a believer. God has brought this person into my life for a season that I'm going to interact with them. Let me pray and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what that interaction is going to produce. That did not mean I'm beating someone over the head day one with a Bible. But I prayed and I submitted to God And all my interactions fraught with that person because I knew God had a plan. That's what we must do. But going back to this text, we are called to make a decisive commitment. And then also to maintain that commitment. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice what this is saying here is present tense it's, it's pointing to you need to keep doing this being continually vigilant at least your decision that you made in the beginning you start to forget and start living and reorganizing your life and your thoughts around things that don't matter And the threat comes in from this world, even for the child of God, where we have to keep going back to, no, 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 I know what God has done in my life. And I know the reasons he's done it. And I am to live this out every single day. Heaven, our heavenly calling tells us You're going to reside in this world. But in this world is to be a witness, not not to conformity, but to be transformed. And the aiding of this process is the renewing of the mind. That's why that continually has to happen. That's why you come to church so your mind can be refreshed and renewed, can come down into your heart, and then you go out and live these things for the Lord. And it can only be done by the working of the Holy Spirit and the believer. We are Holy Ghost filled. When we walk into a place, God's representative is there God has already been there, but then He uses us as His instruments in all of these places. That needs to just be a part of our lives. We know that we can know God's will because here it just tells us by renewing our mind in discernment. It's reading um, a quote by. Charles Spurgeon, and he said that discernment is not knowing the difference between good, right, and wrong, but between right and almost right. See, because there's a lot of things that we can do that are not necessarily wrong, but it could be almost right. It, it, It may not be what's best. It may not be what God has called us to do. So sometimes for us, those lines get blurred. As we walk out our faith, it is us wanting to use discernment that we would be pleasing as a living sacrifice and desiring to know what God's perfect will is. Not for me to do next week or next year, right now. In this conversation, in this interaction with this person that he just placed me around, the way I walk out my daily walk, Stay present. We've been talking about that. Stay present, recognizing God is right here with me. He's in me. His word is in me. I am his representative, his ambassador, a holy priesthood in a world that's dark. And my life is not about all of this other stuff. Cause it doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that in walking out life that we don't obtain things, that we don't have goals, that we don't um, uh, gather things, but what are we using those things for? And where are they in the hierarchy of our lives? Are they things that if I lose this, I'm jumping off of this bridge? Because you have People that think that way. No, no, it's God. It's God. It's God. Often um my wife will say things to me like, If it's me and you under a bridge, I'm happy. Now, that hasn't been put to the test. It's a nice gesture. I actually believe it because of our closeness, but I know this, God, if it's me and you under a bridge, if I lose everything, if I lose my health, if I lose my family, if I lose my way, it's me and you. It's me and you, God, there is nothing else That's going to satisfy. There's nothing else worth living for. What is this about? I'm about to join the Caleb's ministry. (laughs) Life goes by quick. I can't believe that. Worship team, come on up. I'm, 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 I'm telling you that it happens fast. And when we have all these other things baked into our minds and allow them to eclipse who we are and what we've been called to do, it's a problem. The good thing is God is one who's always correcting our course. We need course corrections like all the time we need to be reminded and brought back to no 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 no. this is primary this is my life this is what I was created for I've been created to enjoy and glorify God and nothing else is going to satisfy nothing it's this and I want to be a living sacrifice our um, acceptable sacrifice, the real acceptable sacrifice, was Jesus Christ. John said, behold, the Lamb of God. People were bringing their best lamb to the altar to present to God one without spot or blemish. And God gave us the lamb, God's best, his son without spot or blemish. Isaiah 53, starting at verse 5, says, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity. Of us all, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like sheep a, a sheep silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Revelation tells us that they overcame because of the blood of the lamb. Because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. Loving our lives is not only when we're faced with death, but as we live day by day. I'm dying to myself, Lord because I'm living for you. That's not loving your life. And often we have a skewed remembrance of even our past and the things that we thought would satisfy. And in little ways now, we still feel like, yeah, I have this, but I want some of that thinking is going to satisfy as well. All of those things we are to be careful with. is one who satisfies. We're going to um, take communion. I'm just going to uh, sit down for a minute, and we're going to listen to this song. And it's for us to just reflect, God, you are the true sacrifice. You've called me. Filled with the Holy Ghost, bought with the blood of Christ to be a living sacrifice. Help me to approach you with clean hands and a pure heart, and all my imperfections and faulties and failures. I love you, God. Want to come to you? It's acknowledging where i am with you and when we take communion just remembering whatever we bring is tainted but it's all we have but it's acceptable to him but what he has brought to us is the lamb that's taken away the sin of the world i'm going to ask the ushers to come with communion and the deacons will be here to serve you. The ushers will instruct you each row to come up and come up, and we'll take communion together. You can come, ushers.